Well, good morning. My name is Ben Harris. I'm the pastor here at New City. If we've not gotten the chance to meet yet, if you're new this morning, I want to say a huge welcome. We are continuing in our series, The Power to Change the World, and we are walking from beginning to end through the book of Acts this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can begin flipping to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, and we're going to look at the first half of Acts chapter 9 this morning that is an incredibly profound and important story. It is the story of the conversion of Saul, also known as Paul. who we have seen thus far in the last several chapters that Saul is very much an active persecutor and attacker of the church and is personally responsible for the killing, the murder of Christians, of followers of Jesus. And so it is fair of us to say that this man Saul at the time was probably the chief enemy of Jesus in terms of humanity on earth. Um, In addition to the story that we're going to see here this morning in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Paul himself, also retells this story in Acts chapter 22 uh, in front of an angry mob. He's, He's sharing his testimony. And then again in Acts 26, in front of King Herod Agrippa, who was the governor of Judah at the time, he shares his testimony a third time. Uh... Clearly, Luke, who is the human author of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, realized how radically important the conversion of Saul to saving faith in Jesus was not only for the church at that time to know, but for us as believers as the church today to know. Um, In England, in the 1700s, there were two young lawyers whose names were Lord Lyttelton and Gilbert West. And these two lawyers were friends, and they would get together and talk often, uh, both very staunch unbelievers who felt like at the time they had very reasonable, logical, lawyer-like reasons to believe that Christianity was simply not true. Um, In a conversation that they had together one day, they said, uh, Christianity stands upon a very unstable foundation. There are only two things that actually support it, the alleged resurrection of Jesus Christ and the alleged conversion of this guy, Saul of Tarshish. And if we can disprove these stories, which should be rather easy to do, quote-unquote, Christianity will surely collapse like a house of cards. By the time that they had finished all of their research and study and investigation, uh, they both gave their lives to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And instead of writing books declaring that the resurrection was false and that the conversion of Saul was false, Gilbert Gilbert West wrote a book called The Resurrection of Jesus Christ, arguing that the resurrection is historical fact. And Lord Lyttelton wrote a book called The Conversion of St. Paul. Uh, The books were published together, and in some editions, included in the flyleaf of the books, the following phrase, Blame not until thou hast examined the truth. Good words from these men. Uh, This morning, we will see that the story of the conversion of Saul is very real, is very true, and is very applicable to our own lives today. And I hope that as we hear the story of God's grace unfold in the life of this man, Saul, that we will rehear the story of God's grace in our own lives as well. So let's take a moment this morning and let's pray, and then we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word this morning. We submit ourselves to it even as we submit ourselves to you. We thank you for the grace and the truth that is contained in your perfect and errant word. And Father, with humility, we come before you and with gratefulness and with joy and with thankfulness for who you are and what you do in people's lives every day, we come before you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Acts chapter 1 now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 19 to us together. The scripture says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Verse 9, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This morning, as we walk back through this text now, I want to offer to you five very specific ways in which, again, we see our own story of God's grace in our lives as we walk through the story of God's grace in the life of Saul. The first is this, very clearly in the first two verses we see that God can handle your life of sin. God can handle it. He can handle your mistakes, your brokenness, my brokenness, the things that we have done. The Bible opens here by saying that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. Compared with the breath of the Holy Spirit that brings life, Saul, in his unsaved condition, breathed out death. He approved the murder of Stephen, specifically as we saw earlier in uh, the book of Acts, dragging people out of their homes and sending them to prison, or worse, specifically to be killed. And now he is headed to a new city. He is headed to Damascus to do the same. This is religiously sanctioned persecution. And this is where all religion, apart from Jesus Christ, will lead us. He is literally killing people who disagree with him. Religion outside of Christ is a disaster. And Saul, for his own part, he is a really bad dude. Um, He tells us in his testimony in Acts 26, towards the end of the book of Acts, um, he says this. Look at Acts 26. This is verses 9 through 11. 
retelling again the same story, but listen to what he focuses on here. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogue and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Later on in life, the Apostle Paul will write a number of epistles or letters that he is writing to churches, teaching them how to follow Jesus. And Saul, a.k.a. Paul, confesses many times in those letters not just his wickedness in oppressing the church, but his self-righteousness his self-reliance. In Philippians chapter 3, the latter half of verse 4 through 6, he kind of gives us another uh, confession. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he is saying in his previous state, he believed that he had all of his ducks uh, in a row. For all of us who are in Christ, every single one of us, the story of Acts chapter 9 is a picture of how we came to be saved and brought into the family of God despite our sin because of God's grace and mercy. See, all of us every single one of us, stand guilty in our sin before a perfectly holy and perfectly righteous God. All of us, in one way or another, even us kids, we've all mistreated someone. Uh, We've all been arrogant in one way or another. We've all found our identity in earthly or fleshly things instead of finding our identity in the one true thing that's worthy of it, which is in Christ. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, let me say this to you. Sometimes we think that our testimony is not very cool, not very interesting, because it's not like somebody like Saul. Um, We stumble over our testimony, and I've heard many believers who will say something literally like this, well, you know, uh, before I came to know Christ, I wasn't really a murderer, I wasn't a drug dealer, so I don't know, I don't have much to tell, I don't have much of a story to tell. Um, Let me encourage you with two thoughts this morning. I have great news for you. You are way worse than you think. Your sins are way worse than you can possibly imagine. (laughs) I get a clap for that one. There you go. Uh, But let me give you even better news. God's grace is way more than you can possibly ever imagine. And that is, yeah, we can clap for that one even more, right? Uh, Every single conversion, every single person who comes to Christ, it is a miracle. And we are told that the angels themselves in heaven rejoice when someone comes to the Lord. But even more so than that, understand that the God of this universe who reveals himself as a father rejoices over your conversion, rejoices over you being added to the family. One of my favorite verses in all of the Old Testament is Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. This is where we get the song, mighty to save, by the way. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Now, we think of ourselves as rejoicing over God with gladness, but this is saying that God is rejoicing over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, the scripture says. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Consider that. 
We, we gather and we sing praises to the Lord, and we ought to, certainly, with joy in our hearts. But this is saying that God rejoices over you. That is how much of a big deal you coming to Christ is for God. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In 14 verses later, Luke chapter 15, an incredibly famous story, right? The prodigal son story. And the story ends when this prodigal wicked son who did lots of bad stuff, the same bad stuff that we do today, he came back to his father and said, I have completely messed up. And the father's response was, you fool! No, right? That was not his response. The father's response was to take off this son's tattered rags and put a royal robe on him. The father's response was to kill the fatted calf and to bring in the best meal to fill his empty stomach. And the father's response was to call all the neighbors and say, we're going to have a massive block party because my son who ran away has come home. So if you are in Christ, cherish your testimony and share it with others with joy because it's a really, really big deal to God. And so it can be a big deal to you. And if you're not a Christian, be encouraged that God is not surprised by your sin, nor is He overwhelmed by your sin. There is nothing that you can do that God will be surprised. There's nothing that you can do that God's going to go, that's too much. There's no such category. God's grace overcomes our sin, and your role is to simply say, yes, please, I'll take that. I need that. I need you, Lord Jesus. Uh, if Jesus can forgive and love Saul, this story tells us he can love and forgive you. Secondly, Jesus identifies with us in our suffering. We see this in verses 3 through 5. Jesus identifies with us in our suffering because Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is incredibly personal for Jesus. A blinding light from heaven knocks Saul to the ground. We don't know if he was on a donkey, but we can imagine he's riding his donkey. Uh, and, and the blinding light physically knocks him to the ground, and he is blinded by this light. And a voice from heaven says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Jesus says, when you hurt my people, you hurt me. Jesus cares. Jesus identifies with you and he joins with you in your suffering. To hurt Christians is to hurt the Son of God. How does that make you feel? And you may be going through a variety of different types of suffering. Understand that, that it hurts Jesus what hurts you. When you're attacked for the name of Jesus, when you are hurt, when you suffer, when you face death, you are not alone. Jesus is very present with you. Saul here is being confronted with at least two life-altering truths. The first is uh, Jesus Christ is alive. Right Up to this point, he certainly would have been one of many who denied uh, that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He went along with what the Pharisees were telling everybody, which was a lie. Saul not only hears the voice of Jesus, he actually bodily, physically, literally sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of this chapter, Ananias specifically will say to Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you. Saul not only heard Jesus, he saw Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul will write that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to over 500 people, to the 12 disciples, and that Jesus appeared personally to him. And so Saul, Paul, now understands 
that Jesus is alive and that if Jesus is alive, then Jesus is God. Because none of us have pulled that off, right? Coming back from the dead. Secondly, though, Saul has learned how closely Jesus identifies with his church. He wasn't just persecuting the way, which was the first name for Christians, the first name for believers that shows up in history here in the New Testament. Uh, He was persecuting Jesus personally. There is a deep unity, again, between Jesus and His people. And so maybe you are looking for some level of justice in this life or some level of hope in this life. This is it. Opposing God's people is opposing Jesus Himself. And so you can rest assured that Jesus will take care of it. It may not be in your timing, but Jesus wins. And he has invited you to be on his team in his family. So if you're still not sure of the extent, though, to which Jesus loves his people, this is how much, right? Jesus himself went to a bloody Roman torture device called the cross for you. He experienced injustice so that you could avoid God's justice. He experienced death so that you could experience eternal life. Number three, as we see our story in the story of Saul, is this. The blinding light of Jesus enables us to see who we really are. The blinding light of Jesus enables us to see who we really are. This is verses six through nine in particular. Saul, again, is stopped in his footsteps, by, by the power, by the glory, by the holiness, and by the word of Jesus. See, the reality for us even today, you may not experience a blinding light, but the truth of God's holiness shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. God's word is a mirror so that when we open God's word, one of the things that ought to happen is we go, I am not like what I'm supposed to be. And in the same breath, I can go, but there is one who is exactly like he claims to be, who can do for me what I cannot do myself. The law of God exists not to save us, but to show us our sin and our need for a Savior. None of us can be saved by keeping the law, because none of us have ever done it. But God does this, even this, in love, because the lie that we have all believed since the serpent spoke his words in the garden And that lie then and now really is something along these lines. You don't really need God in your life. You don't really need Jesus' help. You can do it better yourself. And that is a lie. Not only this, though, the the blinding light of Jesus comes in the form of the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, who has also been working in Saul's life. Paul tells us again in his testimony that he shares in Acts 26, look at verse 14 with me. He gives us another little snippet that he shares in this testimony that doesn't show up in Acts chapter 9. Verse 14, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? Um, A goad, in case you are not familiar, a goad is a stick used to provoke an animal forward where that animal needs to go. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you are trying to resist the poking, the prodding of the Holy Spirit, but it isn't going 
to work. Stop ignoring my poking and prodding. So what this is saying is that God and His grace has been working on Saul before this moment here in Acts chapter 9 took place. Uh, How is he doing this? Well, we know of at least one clear-cut example because we know about Stephen. We know that Saul was there and he heard, maybe for the first time, Stephen clearly speak the words of the gospel and that even in his suffering, persecution, and murder, he didn't quit on Jesus. He says some incredibly profound things and Saul is clearly listening. Remember what Stephen said. Stephen, as he's being killed, said this, Lord, don't hold their sin against them. Who is there being murdered forgives their murderer? Well, Stephen, apparently, and I can think of at least one other person, right? Jesus. And Saul is seeing this, and it's speaking to him the reality of the gospel. Stephen also cried out in those last moments of his life, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then he says a few moments later, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who is interested in continuing to perpetuate the lie that Jesus rose from the dead as he's being stoned to death? Nobody. He's speaking the truth. He saw Jesus, and Saul is listening, and the Holy Spirit is poking and prodding away at Saul. But Saul, for some amount of time, kept pushing those thoughts away. I'm not going to think about what I'm doing. I'm not going to think about the guiltiness of my actions. I'm not going to think about the idea that maybe Jesus really is who he says he is. But now Saul is blind, and now he has seen Jesus He was wrong, but Jesus was reaching out to him. Saul was being broken down here to be raised up. Jesus brings us to our knees out of kindness. God was tearing down Saul's self-reliance, picking up where we left off in in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Listen to what Paul says here. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Things were changing in Saul's life. The self-reliance and even the sin was melting away as he, can, he began to realize the sinfulness of who he was and was now suddenly experiencing the grace of God. So where are you on your Damascus road? Where are you in that process Is God perhaps bringing you to the end of yourself, believer or unbeliever this morning? Is He disrupting your life in a particularly uncomfortable way? Is He squeezing you in a way that He is reminding you that all that you need is Him? Uh, Maybe maybe He is knocking you off of whatever it is that you were getting through life from point A to point B. Maybe He's knocked you down and and taken that away from you and you don't like it. Uh, Jesus doesn't want you to live another day trying to just get by using whatever it is that you can scrape together. He wants you to thrive experiencing His power and grace in your life. And I wonder, maybe like Saul, there are many of you who you would say, I have listened to other Christians talk about Jesus for years, and I've been able to keep it at bay, but maybe the Holy Spirit is doing what only He can do and saying, I'm talking to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe He is goading you and saying, I love you. Come to me. Turn to me. 
Maybe today is the day that you let Jesus all the way into your life and turn to Him in confession and repentance and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I know I'm a sinner and I need your grace in my life. Let me offer you this encouragement. Jesus lived the perfect life. And then He willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And your role in that to be justified before God is simply to accept the free gift. There's nothing that you can do to impress God. There's nothing you need to do to impress God. You just ask. And He will answer, and His answer is always yes. In dying on the cross, He will pay for your sins, and He will restore the relationship with the Holy God immediately and eternally. We broke the relationship. Jesus is into repairing it. It's a relationship established by His grace alone, and your response is faith alone. Jesus, I trust you. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. Make me new. Number four, God can change and forgive His most hardened enemy. We see this in verses 10 through 14. God can change and forgive His most hardened enemy. I think the application for us as believers immediately is this, don't give up on anyone. Look at them through the eyes that Jesus has given you to look at them. Again, Saul was a self-righteous hypocrite. He murders God's people. He's the chief enemy of the cause of Christ, and Jesus chose to love him. And so can we. Jesus saved him. So never write off anyone as somehow being in this category of they're too far gone. They are beyond God's love. We are not in a position to make such decisions. Let me put it another way. In 2022 speak, Jesus is not into cancel culture and nor should we be. Jesus is into grace. Jesus is into changed lives. Jesus is into second, third, tenth, and twentieth chances. Jesus is different. He calls us into the same thing. So who is it for you? Maybe it is a relative that you have prayed for, you've shared the gospel with, and they don't want Jesus. Don't give up. Maybe it's that annoying neighbor. Anybody bring their neighbor this morning? <laughs> Maybe it's that, that frustrating friend that you, you've known for years, and, and they sort of have their ups and their downs, and you try to share Jesus with them, and they'll listen, but their hearts are hard. Don't give up on anyone. Don't walk away from anyone. Maybe it's, maybe it's people that you don't know, but as you look at them, you go, man, they are so messed up. They just display a shocking level of depravity. Well, remember that we are all depraved outside of Christ, and God can save His most hardened enemy. Look at what Ananias does, by the way, in this exact position. Ananias had a good reason to say to God, are you sure? This Saul, right? Because I don't think so, God. So he asked God a question, and, and we get the sense that his, his asking is in submission uh, because his, his response is certainly in submission. But understand that the Christians in Damascus who are now caring for Saul, they are the ones that Saul was specifically coming to kill. Hmm. That's Ananias' position. But God answers his question, and that was enough for Ananias. No, Ananias, this is the guy. Okay, cool. Uh, Ananias' name means God is gracious. That's pretty cool. Ananias forgave his enemy Saul 
because God had already forgiven his enemy Saul. And it is the same for us. And Ananias, in an interesting way here, Ananias becomes this obscure hero, regular ordinary believer like you and I, but he is the guy who evangelized and led the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, to Jesus Christ. Think about that. In the pages of Scripture, we never hear about Ananias ever again. What can God do with your small faithfulness and obedience? Something amazing. Don't limit God. Be amazed by God and have big expectations of God because He is God. Ananias had had the opportunity to share the gospel with a guy who was a murderer, and that guy went on to lead four missionary journeys throughout the greater part of Asia and Europe, and millions upon millions of people, humanly speaking, are believers today because of that man's work. So don't minimize God's grace and think, ah, God can't do anything with him. God can't do anything with her. Or God can't work through me. God can't speak the words of the gospel through me because this story flies in the face of that human thinking. Don't underestimate God. And don't forget that you too were once far off, that you too were, and I was at one time, an enemy of God, says the Scripture repeatedly, but for God's grace in our lives, He made us no longer enemy, but friend. No longer enemy, but son or daughter of God. Fifth and finally, we are God's chosen instrument to share the gospel with the world. We are God's chosen instrument, the language of the Bible, to share the gospel with the world. We see this in verses 15 through 19. Paul was here, God's chosen instrument, to evangelize the the Gentile world, and so are you and I. And here, again, God's choosing is yet another element of God's grace to him and to us. Consider another one of Paul's letters or epistles. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, one of the most profound areas that we hear of God's choosing. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Let me state the incredibly obvious again. It wasn't because Saul was doing some great stuff that God was like, ooh, Saul, I want him on my team quite the opposite. And it is very much the same with us, that none of us, are. God is going, oh man, Aaron Bay, man, she's awesome. I want her on my team. No. In His grace, He is going to sinful people like you and me and going, I love you even though you have rejected me over and over and over again, and I choose to love you. And I have chosen you, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. Understand that all five of our applications this morning are just further expressions of God's grace and mercy and love unending towards His people that began, the Bible says here in other places, before time began, and then will end never. That's the extent of His love towards His people. And God has chosen you to share the good news of the gospel with others so that other people might experience that same grace and mercy. For Saul, 
the Bible ends here, this story, by, by saying that the scales fell from his eyes and that when that happened, everything changed. He went from death to life when he received Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. He went from blindness to sight, literally and spiritually. And all things were made new. He was given a, a new and eternal life with Jesus that began at that moment. He was an enemy who was made a friend. And his eyes were now fixed on Jesus. He went from persecutor to evangelist in a week. And the same can be true for you and I today. Saul began immediately sharing the good news of Jesus with others, and so can we. Look at, if we if we'd go two more verses into this story that we'll pick up next week, but look at just verse 20 and 21 for just a second. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? He was brought from death to life. And his response was to begin to share the love, the forgiveness that he had experienced that is blowing his mind to share it with other people. And we're invited, called, even commanded to do the same. Amen? Let's take a minute and let's talk to King Jesus right now.